Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Giant T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm host for this one, John Siegley, joined by Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Gregory Hall with our Media Monday pod. So guys, this is going to be the first Media Monday pod of the year that's following a loss by the Tar Heels. Let's go ahead and get some quick thoughts on that game. Greg, going to start with you. What were your major takeaways from watching the Heels play against Wake Forest on the road? Well, I think kind of the, the key thing is that that North Carolina struggled mightily on offense early, uh, and it was interesting in talking with you know Phil Longo on Monday, but uh, he really just talked about the energy uh, and how North Carolina really didn't match what what Wake brought. But Wake did a very good job shutting down what what UNC wanted to do, and then Wake capitalized with a very good quarterback and Sage Charette. Uh, and that allowed the Demon Dinkins to jump out to that big lead. And against a team like Wake Forest, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get back in the game. So credit UNC just for getting back in the game and having a chance there at the end. But as we've said so many times before this offseason, this schedule is littered with 50-50 games. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people saw that North Carolina won South Carolina and Miami uh, – even though they were were both fourth quarter comebacks, but I think people were like, ah, you know, they won those games. Those are pretty good teams. A lot of these other games are going to be easier than we thought. Clearly not the case. As, as Mac Brown said today, you know, if North Carolina doesn't bring their uh, highest energy level every single game, they're going to lose. They are not good enough uh, to just kind of roll the ball out there and and, and win some of these games. And I think that's the primary lesson. The players talked about it after the game. How, how a team that's won seven games over the last three years uh, can take somebody lightly, it's kind of mind-boggling, but we are talking about college kids here. But that was kind of the message that we heard after the game is uh, they, they had a little bit of an inflated sense of themselves going into that game. Wake smacked them early, and by the time they kind of uh, regained their footing, it was really too late. Yeah, we'll get into the coach comments a little bit later on. But Gregory, when you were hearing the coaches talk about that lack of intensity and how the players just, I mean, they admitted it, they didn't really come out uh, with the same levels what they did against South Carolina and Miami. You know, what were the tone of the of the coaches? What was their demeanor? Um, Mac today, I mean, I, I wasn't there Friday, so I don't necessarily know how what it what, what it was like after the game Friday as far as demeanor. But today, when Mac was talking about it, he was talking about how um, back when he first started coaching, there was basically you could expect your team to kind of come out with full passion, full energy, maybe four or five games. And he was talking back during the eleven games, eleven game seasons, but and he kind of said the same thing that Greg just said where it's kind of mind-boggling how you can just kind of come out maybe not even half the time with full energy but it is a long season so I don't it was more disappointing was kind of the the tone and the demeanor of it but I think it was kind of like a combination of that with expected you can't expect the entire team to come out with energy every day even though that's what you ask 
Yeah, with college kids, it's something that is going to fluctuate a lot. Uh, the Heels also have run into some injury issues here lately. Uh, it was noted today during the press conference that Carl Tucker and Jordan Tucker are questionable. Sounds as if Jason Strobridge, though, he might be able to go against App State. Ross, how big do you think the injuries were in that Wake Forest game? And then what are your thoughts on the news today that Tucker and Tucker uh, may still be out against App? I think the most notable injury was the Polino injury that forced Brian Anderson into a starting role. The offensive line couldn't get much push. They didn't protect the quarterback that well. Uh, the power run game didn't work. There were some snapping issues, which, you know, is just a direct result of quarterback center exchange. Uh, and then I think Strobridge was right up there with there. I mean, they expected to have him against Wake Forest. He was going to be key to kind of disrupt that RPO game that Wake Forest likes to use and utilize much in the first half and had great success with it. He would have really forced the issue there and missing him, you know, as double teams for Tamon Fox and Aaron Crawford. So, I think those were huge. Now, Carl Tucker, I mean, I, I don't know how much of an impact he would have had. I think Garrett Walston, Jake Vargas are, are certainly good options there, and, but Tucker is a starter. And then Jordan Tucker, the uh, starting right tackle, missed a lot of the second half, um, but I don't know if we saw much impact there. So going forward, I think the center position is still a question mark. Uh, Ty Murray might, may get some looks here as he gets more practice reps. And uh, and yeah, it's good to get Strowbridge back. I think it was just a situation where he had a really tender or sore ankle and, and the trainers might've held him out more so than, than the coaching staff or him. Uh, I'm sure he wanted to play out there. So, uh, and, and Antoine green, uh, I got a lot of questions about him. They didn't mention anything about his availability. He was out against wake forest, but it seems like he's going to practice this week and should be good to go barring any setbacks against Appalachian state. And I want to give all three of you guys credit actually, because, you know, on our podcast last week, when we talked about the injuries, uh, at that time to Renee and Polino, all three of you guys said that Polino would be the bigger injury kind of concern for the team. And that really proved to play out against Wake Forest. Greg, were you at all surprised, though, at the degree to which the offense struggled without Polino and the defense, how they struggled for a lot of the game as well without Strobridge? I don't know that I was surprised because if, if you watch the Miami game, you know, North Carolina's first three drives were uh, all scores, you know, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And Polino got hurt you know, inside the five-yard line on that third drive. And then after that, you know, North Carolina's offense really just shut down. Um, and then you know, came alive late with a couple of big plays when Anderson was in there. Um, and you know, he played well at the end of South Carolina, so give him credit for that. And kind of being thrust in – into that that role because they wanted to you know, give Polino a rest and, and get him some experience, and he did, he did a good job there. But just struggled quite a bit against Wake Forest attempts to kind of get into the backfield. And, you know, he had a, he had a couple of false starts. So, you know, without Polino uh, in there, you know, since he got hurt against Miami, the offense is only averaging about four yards per play. And they've had a, you know, a high number of three and outs. So that's going to be an issue moving forward until – you know, Tom Murray proves that he's ready to get in there and they can see what he does or until, you know, Anderson makes some significant strides. Defensively, we know there's a lot of young guys up front. And for North Carolina to be effective defensively, you've got to have Crawford, Strowbridge, and Tamon Fox out there a lot. 
And so when you remove Strobridge from the equation, you, as Mac said today, that's probably their, their best player on the team is Strobridge. So that's a huge loss, you know, compounded by the fact, of, you know, as Ross said, they really didn't know they weren't going to have him until right before the game. And talking with some of the players after the game, they apparently had you know, a scheme set up to utilize his talents, let's put it like that. And then when he's not available, all of a sudden you've got to, you've got to change some things up. And so uh, I don't think it was a surprise, but we saw very clearly how important those seniors are, how important the first line depth is, because there's a, a pretty big drop off from some, some of the elite guys down to the, the second, third teamers. And I think we'll start seeing some of these second and third teamers and young players getting more and more reps. You kind of see that in the fourth, fifth, six weeks of the season um, just because they haven't been in school that long. But, you know, you get a, a, another full month underneath their belt after the preseason camp, and you're going to see more time. And you know, Ray Vahasek made some plays inside. Zach Gill played okay. Um, I think they want to build more depth in the offensive line with uh, with Izudu uh, backing up Tucker and, of course, Ty Murray, like we mentioned. And we haven't talked about Patrice Renee. And they definitely picked on the, the shorter Trey Morrison and Sage Strat had a career day. So certainly things that other teams will be able to look at and say, man, they, they really isolated Trey Morrison and, and a big receiver. Uh, he's going to have some issues defending. So that's another note that is kind of related to the injury. But that's all I got. I mean, it's going to be Gregory Ross, Storm Duck, and, and Trey Morrison at corner moving forward. Yeah, and actually I'm glad that you brought that up, Ross, because I was going to ask Gregory about what he thought, how the defense, the secondary specifically, performed without Renee. I mean, the results are what they are. Sage Sherratt did have a big game. Uh, the defense did play a lot better, though, in the second half, I felt like. Gregory, what was your takeaway from watching the defense in their game against Wake Forest without Renee back there? Obviously, losing Renee is losing a leadership role on the field. And both Trey Morrison and Greg Ross played 70-plus snaps. Um, I believe Trey Morrison or Greg Ross played all 76 on defense. Trey played 72 and Storm Duck got, got four. So, obviously, energy levels near the end, it's obviously hard to have fresh legs for that long. So, not having Renee hurts that. Then leadership-wise, I think it just kind of maybe took them a little while to get going obviously like um ross said picking on the shorter tray stage direct went off 169 yards and a touchdown but it's impressive not having renee that the defense was able to kind of step up in the second half um how much of that was from the corners not sure leadership wise how much was it from the linebackers or aaron crawford on the d line just kind of getting the defense together like all right, we got to keep our offense in this game and, and give them a shot. So I think I think that was impressive without having your, your senior starting corner. All right, guys, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. So we'll be right back right after this. For every Tar Heel fan listening to this podcast, if you don't know, then you should know that Johnny T-Shirt is your place to go to to get your Carolina gear. They are an absolute icon there on Franklin Street where they have been locally and family owned for decades. It's a must visit for when you're in Chapel Hill for a game, including this Saturday against App State. It's going to be a 3.30 kickoff, perfect time to get the family or just swing by yourself. Go over there to Johnny T-Shirt. 
get the new Mac is back and returning of the Mac shirts. They also have everything else that you could possibly want for the Carolina fan and your family. And remember, too, that they also have the clear bags that are allowed in Keenan Stadium. So if you don't have those, make sure that you do swing by and pick some of those up as well. And if you are a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders, either there in store or at johnnytshirt.com. So that's johnnytshirt and johnnytshirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Gregory Hall. So talking about the defense there, let's kind of stick in that vein. And Ross, going to go to you for this one. What did defensive coordinator Jay Bateman say in the in his press conference today about how his squad did turn around the second half in Wake Forest and more specifically what they're looking to do against App State this coming up Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to give kudos to Bateman because I think he does make a couple of um, significant changes at halftime. They, they always seem to come out a little more prepared in the third quarter, and we saw that. I mean, in, score, in terms of schematics, I don't know exactly what they, they did better in the second half, um, but they really did stop. I mean, it was something like nine possessions. They only allowed three points or some, some style like that. Uh, it gave UNC a chance to get back in it, um, maybe just more comfortable playing on the line, um, making more plays. And I think that Miles Dorn interception was big uh, to kind of give UNC another shot and, and boost the confidence of the defense there. Um, and I think moving to App, you know, one thing that stood out is they're getting, um, I think it's like Corey Sutton back uh, and, and a lot of talented players that um, App State has. And I, was it Mac or, or Jay that said that, App State has, you know, they could be an ACC team with the kind of roster they have. And if you're going to have a, a full week off before playing UNC, and so it's a formidable task for UNC and a team that UNC certainly can't overlook. Um, but I don't, know, I don't know if Greg has any things to add in terms of schematic things that Jay Bateman has done to adjust. I just think he's become a really good in-game adapter, and it seems like he knows how to put players in the right position once he kind of gets a feel for what they're doing and how they're taking advantage of the offense. Greg? Yeah, and I think too we have to have to understand that teams don't operate in a vacuum. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, Dave Clawson talked after the game that you know once they get into the third quarter with a three touchdown lead, their game plan changes. You, they don't need to take the risks that you would take when it's tied zero zero. And so they tried to run clock. Uh, they were a little bit more conservative with what they were doing, and I think that made it easier. Uh, but North Carolina did play better. They tackled a lot better. One of the big issues in that game was just some poor tackling. Uh, you know, according to the Pro Football Focus stats, Carolina had 16 missed tackles. And you got to go all the way back to September of 2017 to see a North Carolina team that that missed that many tackles against the FBS opponent. So that kind of gives you an indication of what we're talking about here. Um, and so, you, for North Carolina to play as well defensively as they did and yet still have that many tackles, missed tackles, gives you an indication uh, the Bateman scheme is solid. And the guys, it's really just a matter of guys making plays and it's a matter of talent. And when you've got, you know, Aaron Crawford had a very good game up front that allows uh, allows you to do some different things with your your backers and those defensive ends. Uh, and I think that's the most critical part is they, they shored up some things in the in the second half. I don't think they really made significant adjustments. Uh, the players seem to not think they did, uh, but you know I'm sure he made a few minor tweaks. But for the most part, the guys just played with more energy and they were more effective you know, at the point of attack. 
I think it's important to note that Wake Forest is a really good team with a really good quarterback and really good wide receivers and an experienced offensive line and really good running backs. They had some guys who could fly in the back, even without Cade Carney. So you look at this Wake team, and they've been in the system for four years. They have the players. Um, Jamie Newman's really good, and it showed. And I think this Wake team could win nine or ten games and get to another bowl game and could have – I mean, I look at their schedule. I mean, they could be 10-2 and two at the end of the season and go to a bowl game and get to 11 wins. So that's important to note. One of the top two teams – one of the top three teams in the ACC, I think, right now. And the other thing, too, is is that Bateman – noted going in that hey say trat 6-3 scotty washington 6-5 we don't have cornerbacks with patrice renee out that are at that height and so you know he told his cornerbacks you're going to lose some of these toss-ups we we understand that we expect that he was not happy with the busted coverage that led to surratt's 50-yard touchdown uh, but really beyond that it, it really seemed in talking with him today he was happy with how the defense played and so I think people see that 21 to zip at halftime and think, man, the defense must have played really bad. I mean, one one busted play that led to a touchdown. Uh, you, then you had the, the turnover by Javante Williams that gave Wake Forest a very short field. And then otherwise from that, they just had that, that one drive that, that yielded a score. So I think by and large, he was happy with how the defense played. And I agree with that. It was really a game that you had to watch rather than just look at the score line to see how the defense actually performed. And, you know, just credit to Jamie Newman. I mean, he is a great quarterback. And that funky, delayed RPO offense really gave UNC fits. But in the second half, they really seemed to figure it out. Let's talk about the offense, though. And Gregory, what did Phil Longo have to say about how his unit performed against Wake Forest? Basically, he started talking off about how the maturity of Sam Howell kind of putting it all on himself, but that it wasn't Sam Howell. It was the offense. It was the entire offense um, struggling on first downs to end up in third and long situations and then allowing too many sacks on maybe a second and medium that made another third and long. Um, I believe there were took allowed six sacks in the game. Um, with an offense that was already struggling, the sacks just kind of pile on, and it, whether it deters confidence, it deters, all right, well, we've got to go. Now we've got to go third and nine instead of maybe what could have been third and three, um, stuff like that. And then on when they got their first points, it was third and ten. And then there was a false start, and it backs up to third and 15, and then they ended up having to settle for a field goal where if that false start doesn't happen and it's not third and 15, maybe they get a first down and that drive ends differently. So I just think all in all, he was just kind of disappointed with how the offense played as as a whole. They had to execute better. And it was basically just the message that he had today um, about the offensive play. And Ross, what did Longo say about potential changes or the game plan against App State on Saturday? I mean, I think always they want to get back to running the ball uh, stronger. That was what helped them be really good early against South Carolina and have some success, success at times against Miami. Um, I think one big issue against Wake was you know, not getting first downs. Oh, and this is a big point, too. They, they didn't do well on first down to, to have you know, second and short, third and short. And he may had a big, good quote about that. Uh, I think Greg's going to write about it, actually, about 
you know, getting the right position. So it's third and two instead of third and six or third and nine. Those are tougher downs. The average down they had were also third and nine on third down. Yeah. So, I mean, they were in a tough spot. I think they didn't get their first first down until late in the second quarter something like that and they you know it was it was a, a big mess of, of lack of execution um sam howell did not play that great in the first half but like phil longo said and like what gregory just told us um it was it was a complete offense you know wide receivers not getting as open i think the like we said the offensive line did not have a great game overall so getting that running game going will open things up for sam howell and i mean i think he just needs to throw it i mean he can he can make all the throws they need to let him go. I thought he was a little restrained against Wake. Um, and maybe and at home, I think he can be a little more comfortable. But, I mean, spread the ball around, open it up, and then then gash the uh, the defense with, with big runs too. Because when he started moving in the second half, man, you could see him getting in a rhythm and moving the ball and hitting receivers and getting chunk yards that way. I also thought it was a good sign of leadership and maturity that, you know, after the game, Howell was very upfront about how he had to play better. You know, the offense was just in a funk and it happens sometimes. But Greg, App State defensively, they have been giving up a lot of yardage. I think I saw against uh, UNC Charlotte, who has been playing football, was this their first year or second year? In other words, not a very talented UNC Charlotte team. App State got gashed. How do you think Howell will perform then this Saturday against a lesser quality opponent than what he faced in Winston-Salem? Well, I think we have to be careful calling them a, a lesser talented team. I mean, number one, uh, Charlotte's rapidly improving. And I think, two, if you kind of look at what, what happened in that game a couple weeks ago, uh, App State had a pretty big lead uh, in the third quarter. And Charlotte kind of made a late charge. Um, and, you know, how much of that was App State going into some prevent? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't uh, I haven't actually watched that game. I just know uh, that's kind of how that played out. But but Charlotte seems to be a little bit better. But as, as both coaches talked about, or all three coaches talked about today, uh, App State, because they, they won the first two games kind of easily, they didn't have to show all their cards. You know, UNC has been in a dogfight each of these first three weeks, so you know what you're going to get from those guys. Um, and as Longo said today, App State's really going to try to take away the, the run game. And I think that's going to be a common theme that we see this year is teams really trying to limit what North Carolina can do on the ground and try to make Sam Howell beat you. And everybody says, well, we know what happened when that happened against South Carolina-Miami. Yes, but you don't want to be in a position where you have to have a true freshman lead you on a fourth-quarter comeback every single week. That is not a recipe for success, uh, and that kind of speaks more to what he's been able to do under pressure. Uh, and so I, I really do think Wake did a very good job early applying pressure to Sam, and that's going to be what App's going to try to do. And if they can do that, you know, kind of the data shows that, that how he's not quite yet comfortable under pressure he's you his numbers when he has time to throw versus his numbers when he's under duress are drastically different it's like a completely different quarterback and that is to be expected with a true freshman that's part of the deal Uh, but teams are still going to try to create that that situation where if we can get to him and shake him up a little bit and make him move and make him make him see pressure coming and feel pressure coming we can have success 
And I really think that's what you'll see. And so that's, that's one of the reasons Longo in and Mac Brown today talked about offensive line has got to play a lot better. They've got to do a better job protecting Sam to give him time to throw. And if they can do that, then like Ross said, there's going to be opportunities down the field. Um, but, but you got to make sure you take care of the pocket first. All right, let's go ahead and take our last commercial break. When we get back, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by really focusing on App State. So we'll be right back after this. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. All right, Gregory, let's go to you for your thoughts about how the team is going to respond against App State on Saturday. Do you think that they will come out of the gates a little bit more fired up than what they were against Wake Forest? I definitely think they do. and. I think, obviously, it being their first loss under Mac Brown and this coaching staff, probably had maybe a little bit different team meetings. Um, kind of, I, we don't know necessarily how much the coaching staff got on them about not coming out with that energy. But if I'm a UNC football player, I don't want to lose to App State. It's only the second time UNC's ever played App. They're coming to Chapel Hill. You already lost your first in-state game, and Mac Brown has made it clear that in-state games are important. And the players have also made that clear that these in-state games are important. App has an extra week to prepare. Mac Brown missing that um, today, just like how Miami had an extra week. Wake Forest had an extra day. Um, so the, this team definitely needs to come ready to play. I think they will come ready to play. You don't they. Players, especially the older players, they know what the last two years have felt like when they get in a slump and they keep losing and they losing games and they don't have the energy and they just are defeated. But they don't they don't want to feel that again. So that's why I think they're going to come out ready to play. They're definitely not going to take out lightly just because, like Greg just said, they haven't really had to show all their cards. So Longo mentioned that. They're going to watch a lot of NC State film from when um, Eli Drinkwitz was there um, and kind of see how he ran the offenses there. So, yeah, I, I mean, the team's going to come ready to play, I think, based on how Wake Forest went and kind of how they responded in the second half. And if man, they're going to want to try and get going for all, all four quarters, which they really haven't done yet. And then you talked about the importance there, Gregory, and, and especially given that App is another in-state opponent. You know, Ross, in the preseason, I think if you had told most Carolina fans that UNC would be 2-1 and one going into the App State game, they would have taken that. Like, probably 99% of fans would, given what the schedule was up to this game. But now that Carolina is coming off of the loss and it was to Wake Forest, how important do you really think this App State game is now to the Heels? I think it's huge because I think on the schedule, it was kind of a game that a lot of people picked as a win. I know when Greg and I were doing the prediction podcast, that was my first win I picked for UNC. I feel like Greg probably picked them as well. I mean, UNC's favored by three. They're at home. I'm, it's a very small line there. I mean, to be only favored at home against Appalachian State, it's crazy. It shows you how much respect Vegas has for Appalachian State and their experience and their coaching staff. They're a veteran-laden team. I think there's definitely some issues on defense for them. But in terms of uh, more like culture and importance, I mean, I think it's a bigger game for UNC because App's coming in with house money. They're not favored. It's a lesser team. It's a little brother. 
and UNC has to be careful overlooking them, a little bit of a trap game before Clemson. But then, I mean, it, it's a game they should win, and a loss would be huge, and it, it's, it could affect the chances for a bowl and all those things like that. So they got to be locked in this week. It's just silly that players would, would kind of admit to overlooking Wake when Wake was favored and you're on the road and they're a really good team. And then to admit that to the media is, is also crazy. So there's going to be a lot of looking in the mirror about that and not overlooking teams and focusing on a team that is, is indeed a, you know, in the minds of fans and players, a, a not a, a power five team, not a, a team that uh, has the, the, you know, the talent or the legacy of, of UNC. So that's going to be an important hurdle to overcome. But like we've seen, App State's upset. Plenty of teams in the past. They almost beat Tennessee a couple of years ago. Of course, they upset Michigan. So it's not out of the realm for them to come into Keenan Stadium with a, with a lot of black and gold fans inside for a, a 3.30 kick and have a chance against UNC. So they got to be locked in. The loss there, you're 2-2 two and two heading to Clemson. Probably going to lose that. So it's 2-3. and three, And then you're heading into like kind of the bulk of the coastal uh, schedule with Georgia Tech, Duke, Virginia, and all those games. Pretty much toss-ups in our eyes. And the spread should be, you know, 3-5 to five to 7 in most of those games. All right, Greg, let's go ahead and get your thoughts as well, just very quickly on what you think the importance is of the App State game. And then what do you think the Tar Heels must fix from Wake Forest if they're going to get the win this Saturday? Well, I think it's I think it's pretty easy. I mean, I think you have to come out and you have to match App State's energy and effort. And that is easier said than done. Uh, I think North Carolina is the more talented team, but you know, there's a reason they're only favored by three or four points at this point in time is that while they are more talented, App State has a ton of veterans. They've won a lot of games of late uh, and they've been in some big games. You know, they, I mean, this is this is a team that went in a happy valley and nearly beat Penn State last year. So they're not going to be scared coming in. And when you factor in that a lot of these kids that play for App State uh you probably wanted to come to North Carolina and we're not given that opportunity. That means a lot. We see that a lot in basketball where you kids just have like career days because they grew up Carolina fans and never got an offer. You're going to see that tenfold on Saturday. And if North Carolina does not learn from what happened in Winston-Salem, all of a sudden you're going to be in the fourth quarter. and It's going to be a tight ball game and anything can happen in that situation. So it'll tell us a lot about, the mindset of this team, how mature are they, even though so many young people are playing to handle those emotions. Cause if you match app States intensity, you win this game unless something fluky happens, like, you know, a ton of turnovers that nobody expects for those kind of things. If it's a an average normal game, you win. If you match intensity, if you don't, you give app state the opportunity to win. Uh, it's going to be a home game. It's going to be a, a good crowd. A lot of app state people are coming in. So, I mean, that's that's what this game is about from my perspective. Definitely agree with you there, Greg. And it's a it's an opponent that is going to be up for the heels, like you just said. Um, App State's definitely going to have the chip on their shoulder. Before we get out of here, I did want to announce that Inside Carolina is giving away a pair of tickets to this Saturday's App State game. It's a very, very hot ticket. The uh, The secondary market right now 
these things are pretty expensive. I mean, it just shows how, how much the fan interest is in this game. But Inside Carolina wants to send two of our listeners to the matchup. You will be sitting next to our very own Buck Sanders. The giveaway is going to run until 10 p.m. on Tuesday. What you've got to do is, after listening to this podcast, visit either the football message boards, either the, the regular board or the premium board, click on the thread about the ticket giveaway, the entry code for this week is 1940, the very first year that Tar Heels and App State played. Again, that entry code for this week is 1940. So enter that on either the football message board or the football premium message board. Guys, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Uh, Gregory, were there any final thoughts that you had, anything that you observed from the press conference that we haven't touched on yet? I don't really think so, other than I guess maybe the one thing is what Jay Bateman was talking about with depth, um, with because like I said earlier, Greg Ross and Trey Morrison played seventy plus snaps with Renee being out. Um, and he mentioned that they are starting to build some young guys, and they've got Don Chapman and Cam Kelly were two particular safeties, not necessarily not necessarily corners, um, but we have been told that Cam Kelly kind of bounces around everywhere that he is getting excited about. So it should be interesting to see kind of how the depth builds throughout the rest of the season, um, especially if injuries keep piling up. All right, Ross, Greg, anything from you guys? I'm good. Side for a fun game on Friday and a big week of media coverage with Greg and Gregory. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up then. Thanks a lot. Hope you all have a good rest of your afternoon. See you, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.